the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show. This is the Dan Prof Show. I'm Scott Shelley. Sitting in for Dan today. Uh, Dan is on assignment someplace where it's not getting 15 inches of snow. Um, so I'm glad to be here. Uh, you'll catch me uh, as Scott the Cow Guy, not Scott Shelley, really. And I'm glad that people don't know my first and last name properly. But I'm on uh, Fox Business News, uh, um, Yahoo, um, sometimes CNN, believe it or not, um, and all of the basically the financial t- television news shows out there to talk about public policy in the markets. More, more, more public policy rather than anything else. But public policy is a thing. And and our next guest uh, is Christopher Bedford. He's the senior editor at the Federalist, the vice chairman of the Young Americas for Freedom. And the author of The Art of the Donald, Lessons from America's Philosopher-in-Chief, Christopher, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, going down the list of things to talk about with you, just um, don't, don't, don't get weird, but I, my mouth waters because there's so many good, good ones to talk about with you. But I sp- <laughs> why don't we kick off with the life of a brewery and uh, what L.A.'s ever-shifting COVID-19 response has done to it. Uh, so Los Angeles County is the biggest county in the country, and it's also about the most rest- one of the most restrictive counties right now still on COVID. There are not a lot of other counties out there, for example, that still do not allow any people to go inside of restaurants or breweries or bars at all. A lot of places have gone to maybe 25% capacity, like we've seen in New York City, or like a lot of the free states out there are completely open. Uh, now, L.A., because it's so big, there's there's whole different climates in that county. If you're down in the city, it's 65 degrees and it's sunny and you're by the beach and it's pretty nice. But north of the mountains, where a lot of county, like a number of towns are, and a lot of breweries and some wineries, it's high desert. It's cold. It's windy. So I've been talking to some of the brewers out there and some of the people who own vineyards out there, folks who are just trying to get by and follow the rules. And they're watching as cold climates come in, as their tents are torn apart, And even worse than that, as they are frequently uh, harassed by city health inspectors who come out from Los Angeles, about 70 miles away or about 70 minutes away, they come up and they don't even always know the rules. And when they come in with their clipboard, they will shut you down for things that they are completely wrong on. And it may take you an hour or two to convince them, including calls to their supervisor that they're wrong, and then they'll just leave. But in that period of time, your customers are stuck there. No one can do business. It's almost like the county really doesn't want their businesses to succeed at all. And why do you – I mean, this has been something that I've had a big problem with across the country. And you, you started off by talking about, hey, you know, they don't have any indoor dining. Why are they so strict? They don't even have the 25% capacity. You know, my argument has always been, you know, I have friends that have restaurants. And they need to be 75 to 85% full to make any money. 25% capacity just makes me go out of business slower. And then now, like Governor the Governor Murphy of New Jersey allows people to be up to thirty five percent capacity. Thank you for 
slowing down me going out of business, but I'm still going to go out of business. I mean, the very fact that these people are going around and with a wave of a pen and not even knowing the rules and shutting these people down, I, I just, it's so un-American to me. And I would never have believed it two years ago. Never in a million years that I would, would I believe that America would be able to shut off their small businesses. I, yeah, two years ago, I did not believe that our mayors and our governors, who typically have an interest in their town beyond national politics, would be so willing and so callously destroy their own economies. And never did I believe that the American people would take it like this. But it's been such a slow boil where everyone was supposed to be on board and everyone at first was really worried about this. And then as the information started to come out, that maybe this is not the bubonic plague, you should be careful, but it's not the bubonic plague, people were already in this mode. You know, just yesterday, I went by for lunch at a, at a great Irish bar in D.C. called The Dubliner that holds one of the best St. Patrick's Day parties I've been to outside of Boston and New York. And this place, and, and of course, I've not been to St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, and that's a pilgrimage I have to make someday. <laughs> they they got to be at 25% capacity. No one at the bar. They can't have live music. They can't have people standing. I mean, the manager said to me, to be honest with you, it's going to be pretty dour in here. It's not going to be like it was before. And they got shut down just before St. Patrick's Day last year by COVID. These are their two biggest day, uh, the biggest year of 2021, their biggest day of 2020. Now, meanwhile, across the river, about a 15-minute drive away, you can go to Northern Virginia, and you there's live music, there's 50% capacity, and there are some people at the bars. This is just a, a stone's throw away, and that's the difference in regulation. And these bureaucrats are so obsessed with their power that they don't even care about that. Yeah, there was some places in some counties in, say, even Indiana that borders Illinois where it was okay to get your you know, hair cut on one side of the street and then not okay to get your hair cut <laughs> on the other. And I, I was so adamant that that was not going to ever happen in my America. It made me sick to my stomach that people rolled over and took it so well. And back to your analogy, we're going to take a break after this, but we'll be back in a second. But I'll just get in there that we all started off as frogs in this warm water, and they slowly turned up the boil, and none of us hopped out. We'll be back after this. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is, this is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. This is Scott Shelley, the Cow Guys, sitting in for Dan Prof for the Dan Prof Show. Um, there's no Cow Guys show. Yeah, maybe. Who knows, right? Um, but I'm on with uh, Christopher Bedford, the senior editor at the Federalist, the vice chairman of the Young Americans for Freedom, and the author of The Art of the Donald, Lessons from America's Philosopher-in-Chief. And we, we, went, we went to break, or I kind of went to break, by saying that, you know, to, to your point, um, we all thought this was going to be 15 days to flatten the curve. We didn't realize it was going to be, you know, stay locked up into your house until you accept communism. Um, so we've we've really just been all frogs in warm water, and they've turned up the boil, and we haven't really hopped out. And, and look at what, for example, the Chicago teachers are just asking oh. for the union in order for them to go back to work. I mean, an end to racial injustice before I go back to work? What are you, 13 years old? Go to your room. <laughs> no, I, I can't imagine that these people are teaching our children with these wild demands. I'm waiting for Dr. Fauci to say, well, in order for the schools to be safe, we need a $15 minimum wage. Right. You know, something that might work in Chicago, but certainly wouldn't work in West Virginia. Uh, these are the kind of demands that we're getting. A radio program I listened to uh, out of Boston for some Celtic, Celtic radio, 
says that the next public health crisis related to COVID is driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. It's a public health issue. There's no end to the greed that people have been doing. And in the same time, entrepreneurs, friends of mine who own bars and restaurants, event spaces, breweries, they're getting destroyed by this. And it's so sad. We, we don't take enough stock in that. I, I have to get it in almost in every segment. But, you know, I come down to the city uh, two to three times a week in the canyons of Chicago, which are much, you know, much like the canyons of New York in the, in the financial district. And these skyscrapers, I mean, I've been doing this now since August. I, I, I ran away to Scottsdale, Arizona during the pandemic. And I've been in these buildings two to three times a week since August. And one time and one time only have I ridden an elevator with another person. They're empty. And so if you've got the canyons of our great city centers empty and people aren't coming back to work in these offices again, what happens to all of those businesses? There's three to four or five businesses sometimes on the concourse level of all these big buildings that are just not coming back. There's a huge amount of blight, and I, I fear that a lot of this, I think, has been partisan, and a lot of it's also been just fear-mongering. And what they're going to end up doing is turning our cities into urban blight, the kind of way that we used to see in the 60s and the 70s, and where they would be dangerous places. Just here in Washington, where there's, there's both political pressure to not crack down on crime, and the kids aren't in school, it's been an unreal rise in crime. What used to be car break-ins and occasional late-night muggings have now become armed carjackings of people with their children. It's, uh, it's just frightening. This is on Capitol Hill. And this is the kind of thing that drives people out of the cities. And we've seen such a great rejuvenation of the cities in the last 20 years or so, where they've become wonderful places for families, things that you wouldn't have imagined in the 70s. Right. And now I think we might lose that. People, people were willing to pay a premium because of the nightlife and the culture and sometimes the beauty of living in the city, right? The, the lights and, and the, it was all worth it. That that premium that you had to pay to have the everything that nice at your fingertips. But when you take all that away, just forget about maybe the danger aspect. But when you take all of that away because of COVID lockdowns and all the new rules, what's my premium go for? What what I can't go to a restaurant. I can't go to the theater in New York. I can't do anything. And now on top of that, I can't go out because I'm afraid of getting carjacked. And we can't, we don't have any police to look after them because the police have been defunded. I mean, where does this nightmare end? That's my question. What do you say? I know. I, I wish I knew. I, I'm trying to go out tonight with a friend who left for Montana when the COVID when COVID started. He's back for the first time, and the three favorite places that we've always been going to for ten years are gone. They had to pack up their businesses and leave. I think that there will be an, a large urban flight if there's not a massive turnaround on this. I was I was hoping, even though I thought I think it was kind of cynical that the whole country would just begin to open up immediately after Donald Trump had lost the election and Joe Biden was in and they could just kind of check some of this at the door. But I encourage anyone who hasn't had the chance who's listening to try and get out of Chicago and get out of the areas, get out of the suburbs and go cross country. If you if you drive through South Dakota right now, for example, that's actually pretty cold, maybe a little further south, then through Texas, Florida, these places are open. There's music in the streets. There's children sitting on Santa Claus's lap. The, so I mean, the elderly and the people with young children will sometimes be wearing masks, but they'll be out and they'll be eating and they'll be dining. A lot of the country is free. We're living in two different Americas. And also, it's a great time to visit national parks because there's not a lot of buses going through there. <laughs> right. And you know what else I think is a big positive of this is that all these people that we thought were so bright that we elected to some of these offices, i.e. governors and mayors, now have had to take a class in basic economics. And they love their newfound powers of shutting everything down and being king or queen, whomever you may be. 
But now they've suddenly found out that, hey, if I shut everything down, I don't get any any taxes, right? I can't there's – no, there's no economic activity to tax. So the municipal tax I used to raise from all of these thriving businesses in my little local economy are gone. Oops. So now I'm double tr- – I've got everybody locked down. I've got them all scared, but I've got no money to pay for any services to the people that need it. So they – I, I was shocked and surprised to hear that they were shocked and surprised that, wait a minute, if I shut my economy down, I don't have any tax revenue to spend? I mean, it was like a, literally th- th- it took them a while to open their eyes to that fact, maybe four or five months. You, you'd think that Art, Art Laffer's curve might have been something that was kind of more broadly accepted as generally true these days. <laughs> right, if, you, right. if you destroy the economy, you don't get money out of it. Yeah, Just and across the river in Virginia, <laughs> the governor's now talking about taxing some of the federal money that's going to aid businesses that are struggling. So oh, if the great. federal government gives you $100,000 or $10,000, he's going to tax that. It's taxpayer money that's going as federal relief. He wants to take his, his hands in it because he's destroying his businesses. That shouldn't be allowed. No, it shouldn't. And, and these are the things, I mean, the unintended consequences of their, of their behaviors. You know, we've got, uh, I lived 16 years in Europe. You can't find a person behind the counter there because the hourly wage got so expensive they all went mechanized, right? So you punch in your own menu now, your own order into a, a, a flat screen, and a, a, here it comes. Well, the problem with that, we have a knock-on effect here that these these guys better be careful about, whomever's running these these governors or these mayors. When you mechanize all the people behind that counter, you don't have a person to tax anymore, right? There's no You don't have anyone to tax. Right. And, and the, you know, it's a broader problem, and it's a bigger discussion, but there's certainly a fear between the mechanization at the lower levels, the mechanization in industry, and even the self-driving cars and the self-driving trucks, the cabs, the truck drivers, the trains. But there's there's a future in the country where people who are low-skilled, which is a lot, a lot of people, yep. will have a very difficult time finding employment, and we'll end up with a very difficult situation. A lot of people who are dependent because they can't compete. Thanks for being on. That's uh, Christopher Bedford, the senior editor of the Federal. Great to join. Uh, thanks for being on, Chris. Listen to the podcast of the show at danproffshow.com.